And our next guest has lived an incredible life, and there is a whole lot more that he is going to be doing. Please welcome to London Live, right now a student at Huron University College, and also a Queen Elizabeth II Platinum Jubilee Award recipient, Niall Dang. Niall, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Very great to be here. Neil, we were telling a little bit, a little tiny bit, of some of your story not too long ago. And you were very, very young, life was going along, and all of a sudden, you become a refugee. Your village that you were living in was destroyed. How much of that, and how young were you, do you even remember happening? Yes, I remember every single bit of that uh, fateful day. Uh, it was early in the morning at around 4 a.m. Uh, my dad woke me up and I woke up to gunshot and he told me that I have to flee and go to a refugee camp. He asked me to stuff a few clothes into a small paper bag and, and grab a bottle of water. Uh, and when I got outside, I saw my entire village disappearing in front of me. I saw houses being burned down. I saw people, uh, you know, I saw someone lying on the ground bleeding. Uh, you know, there was gunshot everywhere and we had to flee. And, um, you know, it took me two weeks to get to Kakuma Refugee Camp. I was 11 years old then, and then I got to Kakuma Refugee Camp by myself. Uh, and I had to start a new life again as a refugee. So wait a minute, wait a minute. You just said you were 11 years old and you went to a refugee camp by yourself. Your your dad was not able to accompany you? Yes, my dad was not able to accompany me. He has to remain behind in the village, so mostly... Uh, they had some men and children to leave, and men were expected to remain behind to defend the village. Wow. And you arrive in a refugee camp at the age of 11. Did you know anyone else who came with you? Were there, were there other people from your village who may, you may have known? Yes, yes. So it was actually a big group. Uh, it was around uh, 12 families that came with us. Uh, and after we got closer to the Kenyan border, we separated into two groups. So three families came with me to Kakuma refugee camp, and the other group went to another refugee camp in Uganda. Uh, so I knew three families that I got into uh, to Kakuma with uh, from my village. And then all of a sudden, life is very, very different. What was life like in the refugee camp? Life was very challenging in the refugee camp. So the refugee camp is a big, uh, it's, it's a very small, uh, you know, uh, camp with over 250,000 who have fled war uh, from South Sudan, from the Democratic Republic of Congo, from uh, from Uganda, from Burundi, from Rwanda, from Somalia, from Ethiopia. And they're living in these small congested houses and now staying in a very small compound with 18, uh, 18 other people. And because I was under the age of 18, I was put up with a foster family that took care of me, uh, that I was living with. And um, it was very challenging. You know, was, we don't have access to running water. Uh, we don't, you know, have access to enough food. Uh, you know, sometimes you'll have one meal a day. Uh, you know, in our school, we just have like two, three textbooks that are being shared by over 100 kids in a very tiny classroom. Uh, we do not have access to qualified teachers. And you're not even allowed to leave the camp. So even if you if you have to leave the camp, you have to get a, a special permission from the Kenyan government uh, that allow you to travel out of the camp and come back. Uh, so it was like a very, very challenging and difficult um, uh, situation in the camp. We're talking with Neil Dang who is studying right now at Huron University College. And we're going to be talking about... What led to the Queen Elizabeth II Platinum Jubilee Award for a whole lot of humanitarianism, a whole lot of activism, a whole lot of community work, things that have become very, very special, Neil, to you. 
school. You just mentioned school. How drawn to school were you at that point, and, and how much did you realize that that could be a, a really important part of your life? Yes, uh, so I knew that school was a very important part of my life because as a kid when I was growing up, my dad used to have a small radio back in in my village in Ethiopia, and he would listen to the news. And one day I remember asking him when I was about nine, what did it take for me to also broadcast news on his radio? And he told me that I need to go to school, uh, you know, pass very well in Ethiopia, and then go to an American college, learn good American English, go to the UK and work for B- for the BBC. So that was my dream as a kid. So when I get to the refugee camp, I remember after being registered by the UN as a refugee, uh, the first question I asked the registration officer was, would I be able to go to school and achieve my dream of becoming a journalist? And they told me yes. And, you know, after a few months in the refugee camp, I was able to go back to school. And that is when my life took a time. You know, school gave me a space where I was only able to learn knowledge and skill, but it gave me a space to heal from my trauma uh, and to look toward a brighter future again. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was a very transformative moment for me. And I saw that vacation was all the way. I could achieve my dreams uh, of becoming a journalist, but also uh, I could be able, you know, to become, you know, uh, an important member of my community and contribute to building a better future, uh, not just for myself and my family, but even for the entire uh, country. So the dream of being a journalist, take us to that, where has it has it changed? Have you looked in, in maybe different directions as you've grown older? Yes, I've looked at different directions as I've grown older. Uh, right now I'm thinking of working, uh, you know, for the UN uh, because I've seen first and the work they do to support refugees all across the world, not just in Kakuma refugee camp. You know, through my advocacy work with the UN over the last three years, I've been able to visit the refugee camp to interact with refugees and hear their stories. And, uh, you know, that is the direction I'm looking at, but I really want to be able to engage the media, to raise awareness about refugees. So I hope to do a lot of media commentary. I also hope to write a lot of op-eds for the last two years. I've been able to write op-eds for, uh, for Al Jazeera, for, uh, for CNN, for the, uh, for the national um, uh, United newspaper. So I hope to do a lot of media engagement. But my dream is more now aligned toward the work that the UN does. We're talking right now with Neil Deng, who is studying at Huron University College. How did you get involved with work through the UN? It actually happened back in the refugee camp. So as I said, through my journalism dream, I love stories. And I would just go around my classroom and talk to kids, you know, who come from other, you know, countries and hear their stories and how they get to the camp. And I realized that there were so many kids in my classroom who were still traumatized by the brutal images of war and violence they witnessed in their countries. And as I mentioned earlier, we do not have access to a lot of resources in my school. So it was a very tiny school. And, uh, you know, uh, there are not a lot of extracurricular activities. So I was like, you know, why should I not create a space? So I started a club in my school where every Wednesday would come together and just talk about our stories, talk about the challenges we face in the camp. And then it grew into something big. We start running mentorship program for young people in the camp. We start running large skill workshop and workshop in peace building, entrepreneurship, uh, workshop in digital skills to help young people uh, you know, keep on to that hope. And we, you know, in just one year, we were able to reach more than 1,000 young people in the camp. And that inspired me a lot. I was just 16 years old. I saw that I could actually do something big. Uh, so after that work, you know, I started getting involved in other organizations that were inspired by the work that I was doing, that I started getting, coming in to support the work we were doing in the refugee camp. You know, my story started going around and I was receiving invitation to speak at international conferences from across the world about the work I was doing in the refugee camp, about the young people I was working with, and about the challenges they were facing and how the world can help. Uh, That's how it all started.
Wow. And just finding those stories. I mean, we tell stories in journalism and and in what we do in talk radio and in the news every day. But without people to tell those stories, the stories aren't quite the same. You're getting the stories right from individuals like yourself who have been through these in, incredible and, and sometimes very difficult times. Yes, yes, exactly. I think one thing I've seen a lot, uh, you know, especially in the media space, is that sometimes... Uh, the individual who go through these challenges do not have an opportunity to tell the whole stories. And that is something I've been working toward changing uh, because I think it's very different uh, to hear about refugees from a journalist or from a politician than to hear about refugees from a refugee, someone who have gone through that experience first and I don't know very well the challenges that refugees go through. And, you know, I think that authentic storytelling is one more people. You know, when I go around the world and talk to people at universities, uh, you know, engage with world leaders at conferences, uh, you know, my story really more people because it is fast and experience. You know, there are very few uh, refugees today in the in, in the world who are involved in this advocacy work and who like have the platform that I have today to be able to tell their stories first. And I think that's something that can help us a lot in just being able to see that refugees are just people like us, people like you and me who have you know who have nothing except that they have lost their home and all they need today is just a place where they can live peacefully and rebuild their future. You talk about the platform that you now have. Is there a place where people can see some of your work and some of the stories that you have been able to uncover? Yes, yes. Uh, you know, if you Google my name, so many things will come up about me. Uh, so I'm very active on all social media accounts. I'm active on Twitter. I use Twitter a lot. My handle is Neil, uh, Neil G. Deng. And then I'm also on Instagram, Neil G. Deng, as well as Facebook, Neil Deng. Uh, and also, you know, uh, you know, on those social media, I share about the work I do. Uh, you know, uh, as I said, if you Google my name, you'll you know look through some of the op-eds I've written about different uh, young people that I've come across, different stories that I share every day. Uh, so I think social media would be a good way for people to keep, you know, to keep updated about the work I do. Well, the work you do is not to receive awards. This is to make a difference in lives, and you're certainly doing that. But congratulations. Um, Queen Elizabeth II's Platinum Jubilee Award, and it is something that certainly has allowed us to say, hey, what is Neil doing? And, and tell us more about it, and thank you for doing that, and thank you for the work that you do. If there was something that you would like to tell all of us that, that could help, that could make this world a better place, is there anything that, that you'd like to look around and see one day? Yes, I think so. You know, since I came to London, I've been involved in different initiatives, you know, to support, uh, you know, the community that, you know, has given me so much. You know, I, I, I see education as something very precious to me. There are just 6% of young refugees across the world who have access to education. I think the most important thing that I've seen in life is that everyone of us has something they can contribute to their community. So we should always ask ourselves every single day, how can I spread a culture of care today? How can I be kind to those around me? How can I spread compassion? How can I help the vulnerable? Be it, you know, and ask people on this street, be it someone is struggling with mental health, uh, be it, you know, people struggling with poverty, uh, you know, there's so many different ways we can support, you know, each other in our communities, you know, be it refugees, uh, we just need nothing but just a place to live peacefully and achieve their dreams. Uh, so I think, you know, the most important thing is asking ourselves every single day, you know, how can I help? How can I spread a culture of care? And people don't have to look far. You know, sometimes uh, I think when you, think, when you talk about poverty, when you talk about, you know, uh, you know, issues affecting women and girls, you know, uh, like gender-based violence, we always think about, you know, countries in the global, uh, you know, south. But I think even here, right here home in London, Ontario, uh, you know, the people who are struggling in so many different ways. So it's all about asking ourselves, what can I do today? You can, you know, help raise donation, maybe for a women's shelter. 
uh, you know, for, for, for an organization that is supporting, you know, house people, uh, you know, you can help, uh, you know, support, you know, humanitarian organization in your community that are helping refugees and you come as the ability to, to integrate. Uh, there's just so many different ways and multiple ways to, to, to get involved. And also something very, very important is that we need to elect leaders who care about our communities, who care about helping and helping spread that culture of care and leading with empathy. Yeah, we don't realize the power that we have in a democracy to elect the individuals that we do and the ones that will make that change. Well, you said it, four simple words, how can I help? And I don't think we ask those words or we say those words or we ask that question quite enough. Neil, thank you for for doing that and showing us the impact that it can have. Thanks for spending some time with us and best of luck with everything. Thank you so much for having me and good luck with everything too. That is Neil Dang. And Neil says, as if, if you're looking for the stories that he's telling or you're looking to find out more about some of the things that he's doing, you can Google Neil Dang, which is N-H-I-A-L-L-D-E-N-G. So just look him up. You'll find his socials and you'll see the work that he has been doing. 911.